concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one is to put aside and save as he, pros- as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry, to, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Verse 5, but I will come to you after I go to Macedon, through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, that you may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Verse 12, but concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And if and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has the opportunity. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they had devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and uh, in the works and the labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Verse 19, And the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as um, <clears throat> Lord, as we get to this last chapter, as we've been going through this book of 1 Corinthians, Lord, there's been so much, Lord, that we can glean from, so much that we can learn as we're finishing it up. Lord, I pray that you would uh, remind us, Lord, of, of the lessons in this book, Lord, of what you've shown us, Lord, individually, Lord, and as a church, Father, that we would remember them, Lord, that we would, um, Lord, there, there's uh, there's takeaways from this, Lord, of things not to do, Lord, and but also, Lord, there's encouragement and love, Lord, and, and, and promises that we have in you, Lord, so we just praise you, God, and uh, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that your word is living, it's active, Lord, and um, Lord, it, it's powerful enough, Lord, to pierce hearts this morning, Lord, and to comfort, Lord, and to to do whatever it needs to do in the lives of your people, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Um, I was trying to remember the last time I taught up here, and it was through 1 Corinthians. I believe the last time was probably one, um, was uh, kind of after, like, I, I came on staff here, and I was going through 1 Corinthians. It was my turn up, and it was uh, it was on the subject of giving. And it's always like, man, like, like I'm the new pastor here, and I'm going to talk about giving. Come on, give me something else, right? Like, <clears throat> starting me off on the wrong foot, and then now I get to this last chapter, and the first thing we talk about is giving again. It's crazy. It's out of control. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't plan these things. I promise you, it's not, it's not me at all. But um, but as we get to this, this chapter, just kind of looking back over First Corinthians, uh, the whole book. Um, it, it was, it's a book that's, uh, that's has to do with churches even nowadays. There's, 
there was issues in the church that Paul had to deal with. Corinth was a it was a crazy city. It was, it was a wicked city. There's a lot of a lot of um, just immoral things going on there, and and uh, eventually that stuff crept into the church. So Paul had to deal with that. Some people came from Corinth and were telling Paul, Paul, this is what's going on. It's like this things are like crazy right now, um, can, and we don't know how to deal with this. Can you you know can can you help us out? But not only that, you know there was there was um, there was divisions in the church. Some were of Paul, some were of Apollo, some were of Peter, some were of Christ. You know all these divisions in in the church that were going on. Also, you know they were when they when they came to the Lord's table, when they came to communion, they were just doing it in an unworthy manner, in a in a way that was just totally disrespectful to the Lord, and and just a lot of things. But also there was others who came who had questions. It was like, hey, Paul, like we don't know how to do this church thing well. Like, can you can you help us out? What about this? What about that? Um, and, and, and it, it's cool to see this. It's good to see this at times because um, the reality is the church is imperfect. We are the body of Christ. Christ has chosen us before the foundations of the world, but he understands that we're not perfect. That you know, the, It says in uh, Philippians 1.6 that he who has begun a good work and you will be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. We're a work in progress until that day we're with the Lord. Um, this side of eternity, none of us are going to be perfect. We're going to mess up, but we always want to strive and persevere and endure to be more like Christ each and every day. That's not an excuse to be like, hey, I'm not perfect. He said I'm not perfect, so I don't have to, I don't have to try to be, you know, mature in the faith. No, no, we, we should do those things. And, and Paul was dealing with this. When we last left off, we left off in chapter 15, and it was a, it was a great, one of the great chapters in the Bible. It talks about, um, you know, it talks about the resurrection of Christ. That's, how, that's foundational to our faith. Without the resurrection... It says that what we're doing is basically in vain. It's, it's useless because we have no hope, we have no assurance. But because Christ was raised from the grave, we have this assurance that we have heaven to look forward to. And, um, and after all this, and he talks about the rapture of the church and all these promises and all these things we have to look forward to as Christians. And then we get to chapter 16, and it kind of seems like he just takes a different turn, a different angle. But, um, but I think it's fitting because Paul was always, like, balanced in his teachings, right? He wasn't just, he didn't just give us everything, like, okay, this, this is a privilege, this is the promises you have in Jesus, this is all you have, and, and, uh, but he always, he always merged that together with, um, with our responsibility to that, right? So, like, he gave us the privileges, the promises, but he's like, okay, this is, this is what you need to do with that. This is how you do this practically. And, and with all this, um, you know, heaven is our motivation, Right? It's our destination, but also it's our motivation to how we should live now. We have this hope, we have this living hope that's in us that, that we're called as a church to give to the world. And, um, and there's practical aspects that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I kind of entitled my message on there. Yeah, it is. I, I entitled, um, <clears throat> sorry, entitled Resources and Responsibilities. Um, and the reason being is as we're going to get, there's going to be three things in here that Paul kind of gives this church that's for us today as well. And those three things, I'll give them to you, and then we'll kind of go into them. But the three things, the first thing is, when it, the, the reality of it is, is money, right? It's giving in that way, because that is part of the church. Um, some people will say, oh, you can't, you know, like there's churches who just abuse that. We, we shouldn't be talking about that. But, but Paul wasn't afraid to talk about these things, because he understood that money, obviously, uh, he saw it the way God saw it. He saw it as a resource, as a tool, right? As a tool. Money is, is a neutral thing, right? We, we know that verse well. It says, money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the verse says. Right? It says, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Money um, money can be used to do awesome things like we're going to be doing this 
Harvest Festival and uh, all the candy that you guys donated. This is this is something that you guys have have given. That's that's something that we get to do for free, right? We don't charge anyone, and, and people come from all over the community for this event. We we do hot dogs, we give out candy, and it's all free because the message of the gospel is free. And the main reason we're we're, we're doing all that is so we can give them the gospel. The message of the gospel is a free gift from God. When we do VBS, the reason why we're able to do it for free, and people are like, "This is free," like because people will sign up from all around, and they'll be like, so how much does this cost? So I know it's a free event. Just sign your just sign your child up, and, like, it's free. Like, everything's free. Yeah, and, and the re- only reason we're able to do that is because you guys as a church are a giving church. You guys are extremely giving, and it's amazing. And though, and that's and that's the, the glory of God that we're able to do that to this for this community. Um, but this is one of the resources that we do have, and, and we are very much um, wanting to make sure we're, we're accountable to that and doing everything in the Lord's will because it's the Lord's money. And it's your guys' money that you guys give, that you guys work hard for, and, and uh, you guys are giving to the church. But, but we go to verse 1 here. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so do you also. And verse 2, On the first day of each week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he prospers, so that no collection be made when I come. So the first thing I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you guys to see is a little insight upon the early church. Um, they met the first day of the week. Maybe you guys wondered, maybe you've been asked, maybe your children have asked, my children have asked, like, why do we, why do we always go to church on Sundays? What is it about Sundays? <clears throat> why, not, why not Saturdays? Because we know that's the Sabbath day. Why, why not this? Why not that? Um, well, the main reason the, for the church in the early church, the, the, the tradition of them meeting on Sundays is because that's when the Lord rose again, right? And we commemorate that. And that's what separates us from um, all, all other religions that we have a we are our leader right the one we follow he died on a cross for our sins but three days later he rose again from the dead that is a powerful message and the church the early church they met every Sunday to commemorate that and uh, that's that's why and I'll be honest I like that tradition right it's meeting Sundays but um you know and there's other people say you know you should only worship on Saturdays and, and the reality is obviously every day should be worshiped to the Lord in your life right and we just chose traditionally Sunday as a church to gather together. But, um, but there's people, you know, it, let me give you guys a verse, if I could. Col- uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. So, again, some people say, hey, we, only, we worship together on Saturday. That's cool. That's fine. Right, we do it on Sunday. Nowhere in the Bible does it say like you have to worship on Sunday. You have to worship on these days. Like every day in the New Testament, it, it's it's every day is, is it should be holy to the Lord. But again, we traditionally meet on Sundays because the early church did that. We do that, um, and and so you know, there's there's always going to be those issues. There's always going to be people who say you should do this, you should do that, and um, and that's where we kind of say, hey, like if you're going to worship that day, you're worshiping the Lord. You're you're going to the Bible. That's great, right? Um, and obviously, we there's this issue when they're like, "Well, if you're not worshiping on Saturday, then you're in sin." I was like, "No, I, I no, we don't. No, why don't you worship on Saturday? You know, that's the Sabbath." And uh, usually, when, when somebody asks me that, I say, "Well, first of all, because I'm not Jewish, so that's that's kind of my my uh, easy answer, right?" But it's always, "But no, every day is holy to the Lord." But they met on this day. Um, Romans fourteen five and six says this in the same way. You think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. 
Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. And again, all these things are, are there, there are certain things that, that aren't biblically mandated in here that is just, you know, some people have different convictions and, and th- those are fine. But, uh, you know, obviously it's it, the, the issue as a church that we sometimes fall into is like, hey, it's like, you're not doing this, you should do this because if you're not doing this, maybe you're in sin. It's like, well, no, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that, right? There's those who believe, hey, you shouldn't eat pork. I'm Mexican. I love carnitas, so I'm gonna eat pork to the to the to the glory of God. I will do that, and that's fine, right? And um, <laughs> so right, yeah, amen to that, right? Yeah. So so all those things, and that that's just to say, this is what the first the early church was doing. They met on the on on Sunday, the first day of the week, and Paul says they're concerning the collection for the saints. Um, and there, there's a couple reasons this 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 offering that was specific that Paul was talking about. This was a it says for the poor saints, the saints. These are the saints in Jerusalem that he's talking about because the church in Jerusalem was was struggling around this time. In Acts chapter 11, it talks about there was a famine in the land during this time, and in Jewish culture during that time, like to to uh, leave the one you know to leave Yahweh, the God of, of you know the God of Israel, to follow Jesus, like that wasn't just going to be taken lightly. You, you would be disowned from your family, you'd lose your job, possibly even use property. So the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they had it a lot more harder than the Gentile believers. And Paul was, uh, Paul very much, even though he was called to the Gentiles um, as a missionary, he loved his Jewish people. He wanted them to be saved for Christ. So he was like, no, like, do this. And, and the church was willing to do it. These churches were willing to bring this collection. They could have easily been like, well, that, that's not our church. This is our church, so sorry. Sorry, uh, church in Jerusalem. We can't help you. But no, they're like, no, like, these are, these are our people. We're, like, we're one body, right? And, and, and even during this time, like, uh, during the, the New Testament time, Jews only, only uh, con- you know, communed with other Jewish people and so on and so forth. There was, there was that, that prejudice back in this time. So Christianity, though, kind of broke those things. And, and Paul was like, no, like, these are, we're all one in the body of Christ. He wanted to show unity, but he again he saw money and the way that God saw money as a tool, and he used his offering. This was for the poor um, in Jerusalem. In Romans chapter fifteen, verses twenty-five and twenty-seven, this is the reason Paul would give these Gentile churches. He says, "But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem." They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them since the Gentiles receive the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem. They feel at least the least they can do is return in return is to help them financially. Right? So so we talk about this subject of giving. The first thing obviously is that giving is an act of worship. We need to see that first and foremost. It's not this like, oh man, I have to I have to do this. You know, the, the Bible does show in here that, that giving is a part of what we do, but the reason is because we, we worship God in, in, that, in that aspect. That's a practical way that we do that. It's a, it's a give acknowledgement to show to, to, for the Lord. It's like, Lord, like everything that you're going to supply all my needs, so I'm going to trust in you. Um, there's a saying that I've heard, and, the, and the, you know, the, the main reason, because God has called us as a church to go out with a gospel message. He's called people to do that, and one of the ways, obviously, he uses that one of the things he does is is the use of, of, of financial giving, but it's not that God needs our money, right? It's not that God fell on hard times, we got to help God out or something. It's nothing like that. The reason that God 
wants because the Bible says that he's a, he's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He has unlimited resources, right? He's an infinite God. Um, so why then does he ask in the Bible, right? Why why is this in here in the Bible of offering and giving? Why is all this? It's not it's it, the reason that God does want our financial right giving is most is for the main reason for the only reason because he wants your heart, right? It's very much connected with that. There's a saying that I've heard before, if God has, if God has your heart, then he's going to have your wallet, he's going to have your checkbook, whatever it may be. <clears throat> and, um, and that's what God desires. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God desires our heart. He desires every single part of us, right? He wants your full devotion to him, right? That's, that's what he desires. And, and if he has that, if he's going to have that, then he's, in, yeah, he's going to have all those aspects, right, of your, of your life, and it's awesome to see when people, you know, when we first announced that we're doing this, um, this uh, <clears throat> Mexico trip, uh, right away there was donations that were given for it right off the bat, and for, and it was just it's just crazy again how how awesome this church is in giving, and it's been such an awesome thing to see. But that's what God desires, right? He desires that, and also because it does show maturity as a Christian. Um, when Paul was in prison, um, when he was writing his prison epistles, when he writes to the church in Philipp in Philippi. He says this in Philippians 4, 15 through 18. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And he says this in verse 17, which I think is a, is a crucial part. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And at this moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me from Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. The reason that Paul was, like, so excited about this gift wasn't just for the actual money part. He was like, man, like, you guys are, you guys are, are with me on, on my endeavors for the, for the gospel. And, uh, you, and, and this, show, this shows maturity. He's like, yeah, I'm willing to give to this. Yeah, I'm willing to do this. Yeah, I'm willing to serve the Lord and go to Mexico and serve in children's ministry, do whatever. But man, those things excite us when people are like, yeah, I want to serve the Lord. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I can't go to this. I can't do this. But here, let me give towards that. that that's a sign of maturity. And that's what God is looking for. That, that's, you know, that, that, those are the things that excite God. And also those that excite us as, as, a, as a pastor when you're like, yes, I want to I be a part of what God's doing. And uh, obviously maybe I can't go, but I'm going to give to that. I'm going to give to we we you know, all the missionaries who do when we have the the missions ministry. Um, I was about to say blossom, but it's not blossom anymore. It's missions ministry. So, but when we do when they when they do all these things, right? And and you guys support all that. Um, you guys are 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 directly affecting that, right? Because we all we all can't go. You know, we all can't go to wherever Turkey, Mexico, or England, wherever else we do missions. But the way we're able to. To support that is like, hey, I can give this because that's the reality of it, right? That, that's that's how we uh, we're able to to help out and further the gospel everywhere. This the small church in Phelan, we're we're doing all these things all over the place, and it's uh, and that's just a, a testament to you guys and the Lord having your guys' heart. And um, and then he goes on and he says here, he says it on on a each on the first day of each week, each one is to put aside and save. So giving obviously should be a systematic thing and throughout, right, when we, when we get whatever the, the paycheck or whatever we get, you know, the first thing is, uh, are, we, are we taking that first 
whatever it is to the Lord. You know, there's in the New Testament, there's no, hey, you're required to give this much, this much. Obviously, we always go back and look at the Old Testament where it talks about the tenth, and that's a, a good place to start. But again, that's as the Lord shows. And what I, what I like what he says here going on, he says, um, and he's to put aside and save as he may prosper, right, according to their own ability, right? We know when Jesus said, hey, don't, don't, let, don't let your right hand, left hand, look to see what your right hand is doing in regards to giving, right? And uh, also, right, we shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't worry about what our, other, what our neighbor is giving, right? It's like, man, they're giving this much. I can't give them much. No, like, remember the, the story of the, the widow that Jesus saw in the widow's might, right? Even though these people were giving out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had, right? All these two little mice, and God's like, no, Jesus is like, this because God has her heart, right? Her heart is in the right place, and that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the heart. If we're going to give, it's like, man, maybe we feel bad because, oh, I'm not giving us this much or this much. Like, you give according to your, your abilities, right? We're, and, uh, and there should be no pressure in doing any of, these, any of these things. Paul would say that after he says this, so that, um, and make it so that no collection be made when I come, right? Paul didn't want to be pressured to give, right? Paul the Apostle sat next to us while we're the tide offering was going by, we'd probably give her a whole wallet or something, just because it's Paul the Apostle, right? I don't know. But he wasn't, he was like, no, I don't want, I don't want no pressure coming out of this. I don't want, I want it to be from your heart. I don't want to seem like, oh man, Paul's here. I got to make sure, you know, like the, the offering basket's full or whatever, you know, it's nothing like that. It's, and he was very much um, aware of those things. He didn't want no one to be pressured. He wanted it to be out of the abundance of people's hearts that they gave. And it says here in verse three, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And, and this talks about accountability, right? Paul was like, hey, like, I don't want to, when, when I come for this gift, like, you choose someone from your own congregation who you seem worthy to bring this gift. You're going to go, they're, you're going to send them to Jerusalem so they can give you, I don't want to, I don't want to take it myself. If I can go with them, I'll go with them, but, but I'm not just, it's just, it's not just going to be me with, um, with all this, you know, all these, all this financial gift, right? And in the same way, we, we take that very seriously here, right, in, in accountability to that, because we understand this is what you have, right, this is your guys' hardworking money that you supply and, and, and give every time you give, and we're very much aware of that, and, and uh, especially our pastor, Zeke, he's very much like, man, like, it, it's crazy. Every time, right, after every week, he always says, like, man, it's crazy that the, that, that the people here give the way they do it, and um, he's very, we're very much, we, we want to be aware of that and be careful in the way we handle the Lord's money, so Paul was very much in the same way. He wanted to be that example to the poor, and again, the another reason why he wanted to do this was because he wanted to show unity within the churches, right? The church in Jerusalem and the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth, they're all one and the same. Maybe they're culturally, they're a little different, they were raised differently, but we all stand on common ground in Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. There's times where we've partnered with other churches. Maybe we, we differ on things a little doctrinally. That's fine. But the, the main things are the main things. We, we all believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And, um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll partner. We'll do things. We'll outreach together. And we're okay with that, right? We're not, um, you know, there is that sometimes. Even, even in Calvaries, we're like, hey, we only, we only hang out with other Calvaries and you know, our, our pastor's not like that. He's like, no, like, I love the people here. They're part of our community. Like, we need to know them. We need to minister to them as well. He's very much like that. And Paul was very much the same way. He's like, no, we're going to, um, we're going to, there needs to be a unity of the body of Christ. And so he goes, he continues there. And then, and then after that, that's the first thing he's, he talks about. Our first stewardship, our first resource is money. But then the next thing is opportunities, 
right? Opportunities to go out and to further the kingdom of God. And, and he goes, as he goes on there, he goes, he says in verse 5, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter with you. So he's, he's in Ephesus right now. He's been in Ephesus for about three years as he's writing this letter. He's going to be leaving soon. He's going to be going back to Jerusalem. And, and uh, as he's going there, he's making plans, right? We make plans. It's okay to make plans. My wife makes plans because she's better at planning than I am. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's like, did you call to make sure? It's like, oh, you know, it'll work out. It's like, no, call. All right. So, and, and uh, you know, there's, we, we can make plans. It's okay to make plans. And, and uh, Paul was very much willing to make plans. But every time he made plans, he was careful to say that the Lord, if the Lord wills. Because even the Apostle Paul, being who the Apostle Paul was, sometimes his plans didn't work out. And sometimes when our plans don't work out, we're like, Lord, what would happen, right? And it's okay because we understand that God is in control. There is a peace knowing that, hey, like, yeah, we make plans, and if those plans don't work out, we say, okay, God, you're in control. I know you. some people are very much willing to die for their plans, right, regardless. They say, hey, no, this is the plan. We're sticking to it all the way, and, and, uh, and regardless of what happens. And uh, I always think of this saying, I don't know if Pastor Chuck Smith said it or not, but it says, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken, right? And, and uh, I, use it, I use that a lot because I'm very much, I'm learning, obviously, as I've been here, to be more of a planner, to be like, okay, this is what we got to do. But uh, I'm still like, yeah, yeah, hopefully that works out. If not, then we'll figure it out, right? It, God will figure it out. Uh, and for some people, that drives them crazy. And I, basically, I drive them crazy, so that's just how that works. But Paul, he was going to Macedonia. His plan was to stay there for the winter. And the way it is working out is it doesn't work out because there's, as he's going he's gonna to try to leave certain areas, there's people trying to get him because Paul was always, Paul, uh, even though he had a lot of friends, he, he, was, he loved making relationships with other believers, but he had a lot of enemies, right? Because he, uh, he was preaching the gospel, so a lot of people didn't like him. So there's a lot of things going on. And um, the way it would work out is he wanted to stay there for three months with them in Corinth. He would go there only for a little bit. He would only go there for a little bit. He was, he, it was a quick trip, and then he took off. And in 2 Corinthians, some of the people in Corinth were like, hey, Paul, Paul doesn't know how to keep his word. And it's like, no, like, that's, not, that's not what it was. It was, I, I wanted to, but things happened. They were out of my control. And, uh, and that's a hard thing when, when we say, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. i got to make sure this happens. But then things change, and it's, it's out of our hands. And it's like, man. And uh, sometimes that means, like, it, it's, even though it's not our fault, right, at times because the situation happens, but people get let down and everything. And that's always hard, but God is in control. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 says this, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog or, the, or like a vapor. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to do, wants us to, we will live and do this or that. There can be two extremes, right? We can be like, hey, like every time I try to make a plan, it doesn't work out, so I'm just not going to make no plans. I'm going to do anything. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit, Lord, and do nothing, right? Um, that's, that's not good, right? But also, there's, there's the other extreme where it's like, we're just impulsive. We just go for it. We don't even think. We're just like, hey, right? I saw this thing. I read the scripture. Then I saw this, then I saw, I saw this thing on the news. So I'm out of here. I'm going. It's like, just like that, right? Like, uh, like what, what did the Lord, did you pray about it? It's like, well, I mean, I read a little bit earlier. And, and we can be in Paul. We can, there's those two extremes. But Paul would say, hey, like, this is the plans I made. I prayed about them going. It didn't work out. Okay, that's, that's a bummer. But 
but we always need to make sure that we're that we're seeking the Lord's will. And if we're seeking the Lord's will, then He's going to work it out for His glory, right? The, in Romans eight twenty eight says, all things work out together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to His purpose. Right? Sometimes when, when me and my wife, Sarah, we first got married, I had come back from Germany at a Bible college. I was there for three, uh, about three and a half months, four months. Um, I loved it. Uh, I have, like, uh, there's there's a, still a piece of my heart in Germany. I love it out there. Got to do a lot of work with um, a lot of church plants. And when I got back, when we were getting married, I was like convinced we're going to Germany. This is it. The Lord wants us. And um, the pastor at the time, we talked to him about it. He's like, why don't you be married for a year and then go? I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, this is the Lord showed me. And obviously, um, after, you know, looking back on all those things, you know, because you think like, you know, I was like, I don't know, 22 or something. So I thought I knew everything about everything. But um and so, you know, after a while we were there and we, and, and we, I realized after, it's like, man, you know, like there was, there was wisdom in that because I know my wife needed to be around her family during that time and to be across, you know, the ocean in another land or a foreign land for her, that would have been difficult. For me, it would have been difficult because I would have been like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? She's, she's having a hard time. I don't know how to deal with that because we're just barely married. And, and the Lord showed me a lot during that time. And, and for me, I was like, okay, and the Lord, you know, he had other plans for me and, it wasn't that my intentions were bad, but it just weren't the Lord's plans, and that's how those things work out. But um, but then he goes on, he says in verse 7, he didn't wish to just see them in passing. He wanted to stay. He wanted to deal with, with his church, not just deal with them. Paul wasn't just like one of those like, hey, what's going on, what's happening? But he loved these people. Right? Paul loved people. He loved the churches that he, that he ministered to. He wanted to be there and just hang out with them. But then he says, sir, I hope to remain with you for some time, and if the Lord permits, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide open door of effective ministry, our service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And I love this because this is another resource that we have as a church: are opportunities, opportunities to to preach the gospel, to get the message of Jesus Jesus out there. Again, uh, if you read the book of Acts, Paul, when he was in Ephesus, he did some of his greatest ministry there, and he was there for three years. Three years of his life, he he devoted to these people to establish a church and the question is and like what opportunities has God given us and are we taking those opportunities because uh, there's this old um, Roman proverb that says while we stop and think we often miss our opportunity or sometimes God just shows us it's, it's clear as day but we hesitate we're like I don't know I don't know I don't know if I really want to put myself out there I don't know if I really want to do this and then an opportunity passes by and we're like man I wish I wouldn't have I wish I would have took it I wish I would have said this I wish I would have just told them Jesus loves you or whatever it is but are we taking the opportunities? Like we have an open door in the school district. Like I, 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 I'm a chaplain, right? I have a, I have a badge. I can just go in, and and they just let me in, and I just talk to kids all day, and uh, and sometimes they like they'll just talk to me like, who are you? And I was like, I'm just a guy. Just want to hang out, and then uh, and I, I'm just building these relationships. Me, Pastor Zeke, Daniel, we're we're able to minister to the the the, the staff as well. We're there. And um and it's and it's awesome. And it's an opportunity we have it. And and Pastor Zeke's very much is like, hey, like go go on campus. Like as much as you can, you know, don't be in the office and be doing go out in the community and and be there. And it's okay. So we're we're out. Like and sometimes we have to. Me and Danny always say, hey, like is it cool that we're not in the office as much? Is like it's like no, you're at the schools. Like your your face, you're you're. You're letting this church be known what we're about here. So yeah, be be out of here if you can. Obviously, there's things that need to get done here, but um, but we have those opportunities. Like I have this opportunity now. I go to Oak Hills High School as well. I was invited to go there, and and I just get to talk to kids, and it's crazy. Like, 
Um, but that's the opportunities we have, and are we are we able to take them? And sometimes what happens is we waste opportunity because you know we're you know Paul says here, hey, there's there's this opportunity, there's this open door, but there's many adversaries. And he didn't say, and yeah, I don't want to deal with that, right? And sometimes we can get caught up about the obstacles that are in front of us instead of just no, there's an open door though. Like there's there's hurdles, but the Lord's going to help you jump over those things if that's where He has you to be. And Paul Paul was like, hey, there's opportunities, there's adversaries, but I see the open door and it's clear and I'm going to go through it, right? And it's, it's yeah, maybe it's bumpy. And uh, in Ephesus, he was going to deal with that in there as well, but he was willing to do it, right? He was willing to to, to be beat up, to do all those things. He was like, no, if, if, if God has me in this open door, I'm going to do that. And uh, he, he saw the obstacles, add the adversity as an encouragement to go even to go even more. And again, I get to talk to, to junior high and high school kids like all week, especially like kids not even here, but just kids at school, especially high schoolers. And, uh, and when I go there and I talk to them, a lot of these kids are like, dude, like, who are you? Like, I don't want to talk to you. And that just motivates me more just to bug them. And it's great. And I love doing that. And, um, and I just like, I just invade their space, right? Because we live in an age of safe spaces. And, and I love invading people's spaces. It's just what I get to do. Um, and Paul was very much like, hey, this, this, this is a challenge. This is an opposition. That's just going to encourage me, motivate me more to go for it. Because I know, like, the Lord wants me to do something, but the enemy's trying to hinder me. And those things are always going to be out there. Um, and then after he says that, now the other thing, the last thing, maybe the most important thing that we have as, as a stewardship, as a resource in the church, in these last verses in, in chapter, uh, is verses 10 to the rest of the chapter is people, right? If we had, if there's no people, then there's no church, right? The, the church is the people. It's not the building. The building is where we get to come and to kind of, you know, to... Uh, for the elements and things like that to be a little more comfortable as we're in here, gathered together. But the church is the people. And without the people, there is no church. And God, God's main vessel of taking out the gospel is through the church, is through people. And Paul understood that more than anyone else. Paul loved, I, I, would, I would always say to the youth that Paul was like the original social networking guy. Like he just loved people. At the end of every, at the end of every, a lot of his letters, he just names off all these people who helped in the ministry, and this is what he would do. Um, and it's always funny to me because you know there's uh, there's people who say it's like, hey, I love Jesus with all my heart, like he's my Lord and Savior, but I don't like the church that much. Those two, those two things don't they don't they don't add up. And and, uh, and you know you you get that sometimes. And I read this thing earlier, and I kind of have to read it um, from a friend. It says. Uh, Every letter in the New Testament assumes Christians are members of local churches. The letters themselves are addressed to local churches. They teach us how to get along with other members, how to encourage the weak within the church, how to conduct ourselves at church, and what to do with unrepentant sinners in the church. They command us to submit to elders and to encourage us to go to our elders to pray. All these things are impossible if you are, are not a member of a local church. Asking where the, the Bible commands you to be, a church member is like asking where the USGA rulebook for golf insists you be a human. The whole book is addressed to the church. And I like that because, you know, you, you get people who say, it's like, yeah, I don't like going to church. I don't like being around. They, they usually use the, the old excuse, oh, there's all these hypocrites in the church, and say, hey, we're working those things out. But but as a Christian, like, there's it, – it's a – it's, it's strange that it's like, no, you, this is where you want to be, right? Any, any chance you get, you should be with other believers, other people of like-mindedness. And, and Paul was, was a people person. He loved people. He loved being, He wasn't just this lone wolf. He wasn't just like, oh, I don't like people, right? And I always tell the youth, it's like, hey, like, you know, because youth are their kids, and some of them, like, oh, I don't like, you know, I try to 
give them a high five or shake their hand. He's like, I don't like being touched. I was like, then you came to the wrong place because you're probably going to get hugged here. That's just how it goes, right? This is, that's just how it goes. There's no way around that. Um, but Paul loved people, and he often closed his letter by naming off people who were a part of his life. And, and the people are the greatest asset in the church. Understand that. Like, this is what we get to, we go out, and, and as, as a people of God, we go out with a gospel message. Um, and obviously, if we have money in the church, financial giving opportunities, it's, it's, it's valueless without people doing those things and using it for the glory of God. And uh, Jesus spent three years with his disciples, right? He, wasn't, he didn't spend three years with them giving them things. He, he, he spent three years with them investing in them. And we do this. That's what we're called to do is well, invest in people, um, invest in, in, the, in the next generation. And, the, and uh, we, you know, this is what we, we get to do in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says, now these are the gifts of Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's what we're called to do as pastors and leaders. We're called to invest in people to help build them up in the church. I, I Again, I get this awesome, crazy opportunity to to invest in the youth back there. And everything that I do is I, I reinforce what, what you parents are, are teaching them at home. That's my whole thing, right? It's like, well, you know, I always say, hey, like, you need to obey your always. The, one of the main things always sounds like obey your parents. Maybe you should wash the dishes for them. Just do it. Just be a blessing to them, right? And, and uh, but I get to do that. It's like I, my main thing is I don't, I don't want to be their friend. I want to be their friend, but that's not my main purpose, right? My main purpose is to show them Jesus, right? Is to say, you know, and even... And again, I get to call them out sometimes. Hey, stop doing that. Like, why, why are you doing that? You know, that's not of the Lord. And I get to do those things. And Paul, again, he loved people. And he names off some of these people here. The first one is Timothy. And we know Timothy, right? We've heard of him. He's first introduced to us in Acts chapter 16. Paul called him his own son in the faith. Um, and he told the church in Corinth to accept him. And again, we get to invest in people in us. We need to invest in the younger generation who's coming up. We need to encourage them. Sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, these, these kids nowadays are into their whatever, right? Into their social, they're always into their phone, right? And they are. That's, that's a, that is a challenge for them. But as us as a church, we need to encourage them. When they do desire, man, I want to seek the Lord, us, we need to come alongside them and encourage them. Be like, yeah, let me help you out with it. Let me show you what it means to follow the Lord. Here, here's this book, and here's this, here's this scripture, and encourage them. And Paul did that, and, and he told the church, hey, don't, like, don't, have, don't let him have any cause to be afraid. He was a young man, and back in those days, like, young men to try to be a leader, especially to older men, pride got in the way, right? He's like, yeah, this guy's young. He, hasn't, he doesn't know anything, right? He's not, he doesn't have no wisdom. He hasn't lived long enough to have any real-life experience. But Paul's like, no, like, don't, don't give him any cause to be afraid. Like, encourage him, and we need to do the same thing. Right, and, and uh, going on, he says, concerning Apollos, right, Apollos, that we, we know we've heard about him in the book of, of Acts as well. He's first mentioned in Acts chapter 18. Um, but then this is one part of the division, the thing that was going on in the church at this time. There was like, there was divisions, right? I'm a Paul, I'm an Apollos. But see, even Paul here, Paul wasn't in competition with Apollos, right? They didn't like, there was no envy between them two. They both understood that, hey, we, you have this ministry, I have this ministry. We, uh, we present the, the gospel in, in different ways. It says that Apollos was an eloquent speaker. He was really good at speaking. Um, but they both had the same mission, the same end goal was Jesus Christ and him exalted. 
So there was no competition, right? There were two different men who were able to be united for one cause, and that's Jesus. And, and Paul was there, and I encouraged him, hey, Paul, Apollos is going to come. I encourage him to come to you. He's going to come when he gets his chance. Then he says this in verse 13, be on alert. That means be on guard. That means be, be vigilant. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that is done be done in love. And I like that, right? I'm sure that all the men up there are hearing this right now, right? Act like men. Basically, stop, like, be mature. Stop crying, right? Stop, stop complaining about all these things. What the church needs, because all this division was going on, was mature men, leaders who are going to, to hold up and to, um, to continue the work of the Lord because the, the, there was division. The enemy was going to very, he was waiting to exploit that division, all the things that were going on. So Paul's saying, no, the, the, the leaders of the church needed to rise up. They need to stop with all this, this, I'm with this, I'm with that, all this, all this competition, all these things, all the immorality, like stop all that. Like be men, be, be men of God, basically. Basically grow up, mature in your faith. That's what we're called to do as men. One of my favorite verses is Acts 20, verse 28. Paul telling the Ephesian church as he's going to leave, this is his farewell address to the church in Ephesus, to the leaders. He's like, you're never going to probably see my face again because um, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen there. But he tells them this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Right? We're called to be men who sacrifice for the Lord, right? Who, who, who bear the burdens of, of what God has called us to do and to hold out those things. But he balances all that with love, right? Because it's easy just to be harsh and, and cold as guys sometimes. But he's like, no, like you need to balance those things out with love. He says, but let everything be done in love, right? True biblical manliness does not exclude tenderness and compassion. You understand, right? Uh, um, it's easy for me to tell my sons when they mess up, say, hey, what are you doing? Stop messing around. But when I, when I balance that out, I say, hey, man, like, I get it, you messed up, but I love you. This is why I don't want you to do this. And it, and it, it sounds, it's a, it's a different approach when I'm just, like, harsh. I'm just like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be doing that. You know better. But Paul very much was, was saying, hey, like, stand, be firm, grow up, be mature as men, but do everything also in love. And then he mentions this guy, Stephanus. He says he was the first person in verse uh, 15. I urged Stephanus, the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, the first fruits of Corinth, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Right? And I love this because he, to minister to the saints, but another word in the, in the original King James, that word devoted means they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, to serving the saints. That's a good addiction to have, right? To minister to the saints, to the church of God. There's a lot of other things we can be addicted to, but, but Paul says this man and his household were addicted to serving the church, serving the saints. And that's, just, that's just an awesome little thing there. And it goes on, it says that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. So these men from Corinth came, and they refreshed Paul's spirit. They came, and they ministered to Paul. And, and for us, understand that, that our pastor, he covers your guys' prayers when you guys pray for him, right? He has this task that uh, sometimes he'll mess around with me. He'll be like, hey, like, because he, be, he used to be the youth pastor here for a long time. And he'll say, it's like, hey, like, maybe we should switch roles. I'm like, I don't want your role. Sorry. Like, that's you. That's you. You're the man. I don't want to be the man. So... That's not going to happen, right? Because I, I, I see that, right? He has this huge, he, he's a, 
um, right? He's a, he's a pastor of this church. God has placed him over this church, over your guys' care, and he takes that very seriously. So when you guys pray for him, man, that blesses him so much. And we should be lifting him up in prayer because he does seek God's wisdom and his guidance to what um, the Lord wants to do with with his body here. And then he, he mentions Aquila and Priscilla. Um, and th- this is like the, the Christian power couple. These guys are amazing. They did a lot of stuff. It says they were there in, Cor- in, a, in Ephesus with Paul. The first time that we are introduced to them is in Acts chapter 18. Paul meets them in Corinth. They're with him in Corinth. They're tent makers. They're working. They're doing the work of God. But they're... Um, you know, and, but they're, they're supplying their own way. And then when Paul takes off to Ephesus, they take off with him. They're still working, doing their thing. They start a, a fellowship in their own house. When Paul writes the book of Romans, when he's writing to the Romans church, guess who's there at the end? Aquila and Priscilla. And guess what they have in their house? They have a fellowship in their house. And they're everywhere they went. And when, and when Paul writes to Timothy, when Timothy becomes a pastor at Ephesus, guess who goes to help him out? Aquila and Priscilla. They were like, they're willing to go anywhere get up and move if it might serve in the Lord better. And it's crazy. They're, 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 they're an amazing couple. And they're just reading, going over this, like, it's just super encouraged me. It's like, man, that's awesome. They're just willing to, to, to support the work in whatever way they could. And then at the end of that, um, it says, you know, Quill and Priscilla, they greet you. They give you a hearty, a hearty greeting with the church in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And sometimes we're like, hey, don't be doing that stuff here, right? No, no, no kids. But, but you know, that's Eastern culture. That's the way they do things back then, right? Maybe we can think of it now as like, hey, greet another with a, with a handshake or a hug or something like that, right? But, but it's, it's that it's that whole idea. It's just a greeting. It's it's an affectionate affectionate greeting as as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as a family of of Christ. And in the end, he says in verse twenty one, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Um, Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be a curse, or the word is anathema. Maranatha, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. As he ends, he says this kind of like interesting term. He says, hey, those who don't love the Lord, they're, they're accursed, right? And that's the reality of the situation. Paul, again, he was in a, Paul didn't like mince words at times, right? He's, he got to the point, he's like, hey, there needs to be a devotion to Christ. There needs to be a, a surrender to Christ. If it's not there, then, then yeah, if, if then there's, there's eternal judgment to, to, that comes upon those people who don't know the Lord. That's the reality. That's that's why we go out with a gospel message. That's why Paul went out with a gospel message to the Gentiles because there's hope and there's life that's only found in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. God, Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Paul understood that so well that he was willing to tell people, no, you need to know Jesus. That's the only way to salvation. And he tells them, if no one, if, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's to be accursed. And he says, Maranatha, which means our Lord comes, right? Um, I, I read this saying of the early church. That's how they used to greet each other. They used to greet each other by saying Maranatha because they're, they had such an expectation that the Lord was going to come like now. And that should be our expectation. That should be our motivation for everything that we do. The reason why we, we go through end times things and, and, all, and go through those teachings is so it should give us a sense of urgency that, man, the times are near God's return. Christ's return is imminent, and there's people that we know that don't know the Lord, and we, don't, and we want them to know Jesus and, uh, intimately. And then he says this, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And he says this to a church that he had to correct. In the end, Paul loved them so much that he was willing to be that father who corrects them, but but he didn't want them to forget that I do love you guys. Like, my heart is with you. Like, I, I, I labor in prayer for you. I, I love you guys, right? <clears throat> and sometimes love means, hey, like, calling people out, right? Correcting them. It's like, no, this isn't the way you should go. 
This is only going to lead to your destruction if you continue down this road. Paul wasn't wasn't a willing to be like, hey, I love him so much, but I don't want to tell him, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make him feel bad. Paul made people feel bad all the time. That's just what Paul did, right? He told these guys, act like men. Stop crying like babies, right? And it hurt, right? But he said it because he loved them, because he wanted them to be mature men. And he, in and, and the end, he, he reminds them, like, man, I love you guys. Like, I, I do love you. And and I want to see you guys. I want to be with you guys. <clears throat> I want to I want to work this thing out together. And that's what we get to do with as, as Christians. So at the end, the last thing, just one verse that I thought of as, as we're finishing up. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Paul says this, In this case, it is required for stewards that one would be found faithful. And God has given us these things. And the question is, are we being faithful with the things that God has given us? Right? With, the, with, with our jobs, our finances that God has given us, are we faithful with those things to, to use those for the Lord? Are we faithful with the opportunity that God has given us, the, the open doors that he gives us each and every day, are we faithful with the people that God has put into our care, right? Whether it be our children, our families, if you do children's ministry, if you're discipling someone, are you faithful to, with that, with those people? Because again, God's vehicle for the gospel is the church and for people. And and in the end of it, the thing that the thing that's going to leave here are, are, are people, our souls, right? And uh, and everything else is going to stay. So, with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are faithful, God. Lord, that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself, Lord. It's who you are, Father. And Lord, we, we want to be faithful. We want to be, Lord, um, counted as faithful in your eyes, Lord, with everything that you've given us, Lord. Our families, our jobs, Lord, our careers, Lord, our, our ministries, Father. Everything, our, our homes even, Lord, everything that you've given us, we want to be found faithful, as good stewards, Lord, doing everything you have, because one day we're going to have to give an account, Lord, as stewards for what you've given us, Lord, and what we did with it, Lord, even our own lives, Father. So I pray, Lord, that you would reveal those things to us this morning, Lord, that maybe we haven't been as, maybe we've been a little lax, Father, in those things that you've called us to be faithful in, Lord, that you've called us to be stewards over, God, the resources that you've given us, Lord, and help us to understand the responsibility, Lord, but, but even with all that, Lord, you give us everything that we need, Lord, to, to do those things well in your name, Father. So we, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Just be with your church this morning. We love you in your name. Amen.